When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi, folks. I'm Amy Wright. Thanks for listening to the Insights Podcast by Diddy TV, where we offer behind-the-scenes interviews with musicians, producers, engineers, and other various and vital contributors to the world of music. Our guest on the show today is Langhorn Slim, whose stream of consciousness songwriting makes up his new album, Strawberry Mansion, available via Dual Tone Records. His decision to get sober helped inspire the new record, which he wrote in his adopted hometown of Nashville after it was hit by a tornado and the world at large was hit by a global pandemic. I caught up with Slim to discuss the new album, the struggles surrounding, and much more. I found him to be very thoughtful, somewhat mysterious, and overall very inspiring. So take a listen, and I'll catch you again at the end. You're listening to Insights by Diddy TV. Welcome, Sean, um, a.k.a. Uh, Langhorn Slim. How's it going today? It's going well. I suppose we're, we're, we're now in the interview phase. We are, we are going to start this interview. Yeah. Let's do it, my friend. All right. I'm doing well. Sun is shining in Nashville. Yeah, we've had a, we've had a lot of rain and snow and all sorts of fun weather recently. Um, Everything from 13 below zero to 70 degrees, (laughs) all in a two week period. We've had a a couple of days of tornado warnings and stuff, which I think has um, brought back some, uh, some traumatic memories for, for people over here. So thankfully we haven't had one uh, come through, but yeah, the weather's been crazy. Are you in the area of Nashville where the tornado touched down last yeah. year? Yeah. I live in East Nashville and the street right over from my street was almost entirely destroyed by it. My wow. street there, we had some debris and stuff like that. I had, it was kind of looked like an art installation, like a big industrial mm-hmm. piece of metal perhaps from the roof of a building or something in sticking up in my front yard, but. Yeah. Well, it happens. They happen so quickly that most people aren't really all that prepared that you don't really get a warning like you do with other weather. It's you might hear something on the news that says there's a watch. And then the next thing you know, there's a tornado. And I know a lot of people in Nashville that we've talked to over the past year were really blindsided. In fact, yeah. A couple of my friends were in the basement east that night, yeah. and by the time they got home, everything was destroyed. And thank God that they were okay. Yeah, totally. I flew, <clears throat> and I've had like a, a bit of guilt about this. I flew home that night. Um, we were playing a festival, actually, in the Dominican Republic. So went from this one very surreal world of like hard rock cafe, Dominican Republic, resort place for a few days back to Nashville and the tornado hit that night I wound up sleeping through it I guess I'm a deep sleeper 
woke up to, of course, a lot of noise outside and went out to, you know, see what was going on. And, and like I said, our street was fine, but just, I don't know how many feet away that is, but it's not far. The street over is just, um, was kind of annihilated. And then everybody went out to help and clean up. And of course, a week or 10 days into that, we're in global pandemic mode. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite the year for sure. And we're going to talk about your latest album, Strawberry Mansion. But before we get to that, I wanted to go back. I want to go back to your childhood. (laughs) Yeah, let's just let's just go way back. You're from Philadelphia originally, right? I'm from a a small town outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, about 25 minutes outside of Philly. I think Memphians and folks from Philadelphia, there's some kind of common bond there. I don't know what it is, but we tend to like soulful Mm -hmm. towns. You got to be tough in those towns, but I think there's a sweetness in the people too. Not all the people, but the people I'd like to, I like the tough and sweet people, you know? And I think that Memphis has that and, and Philly people have that too. Yeah, I think you're right. Even over the past year, it's been kind of an interesting time and people in Memphis have largely not complained about how bad things got. I think that there is a uh, you know, Memphians have gone through a lot already. That's right. And this is another thing to go through. But uh, but there's a like you said, there's a sense of toughness that we're just going to get through this. And I think Philadelphia seems like it's a similar attitude. This is just another thing in a long continuum of things that we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, I have two. They're two very different places with I could see how their sisters or brothers as well. And musically, Philadelphia has a lot of that, that, that soul, soulful kind of music. And, oh, right. So you grew up there. And when did you start playing guitar? Were you little or was it as a teenager? When did that happen? Well, the guitar saved my life. I'm certain of that. Before I played guitar, I was, <clears throat> I was performing, I think, but it was just called misbehaving. And I would just get in trouble in school and stuff. And then I'd taken some guitar lessons maybe at 11 or 12 or some, something like that, but it didn't, it didn't stick with all due respect to Aerosmith. The guitar teacher was teaching me like hot licks, you know, uh, loving in an elevator. And uh, an interesting thing I think about learning anything is it so depends on the, the way in which you are learning and the, the person that you are learning from. So I couldn't learn it like that. I never learned to, to read or write music, unfortunately. It's not too late, I suppose, but I haven't learned yet. So I did that and I couldn't stick with it. And then Nirvana hit. You were talking about uh, Diddy as like a new MTV the way it once was. Oh, man, I was wearing my MTV hat earlier. I changed it because it's a little chilly here. That would have been better. Um, but Nirvana hit and I fell in love with Nirvana. And um, and my cousin lived in, well, still lives in Atlantic City in New Jersey. And he was a few years old. He is a few years older than myself. And I looked up to him a lot. And he was in a punk band out there. <clears throat> and I used to go down to their basement when I was, as we call it, down the shore um, and watch. So I was sitting in you know, a suburb of Philly watching Nirvana. And then Beck came on and I was discovering all this, uh, you know, the the bands that influenced them and just getting really into that stuff, as well as old blues and 
soul music and folk music and stuff like that. And then going and just being just kind of like devoured by this loud, raw music that was happening in a little basement in New Jersey and just in awe of, of the energy and, and, and the loudness and the sound. And so he, my cousin taught me Polly, uh, Nirvana tune. And I just, I think I became a songwriter because I'm not really good enough to, or my brain doesn't work in a way that I'm good at covering songs. Like I'll, I can't really figure them out entirely. And by the time I get it a little bit, I'm changing it and making something, I guess, of my own. And then that turned into just me writing, writing songs. I, t- I took the poly chords home to Pennsylvania and, um, and there it began. So where does the Trachtenberg family slideshow players Play. come in? Yeah. What was that? That, so then I, I, I left Pennsylvania for New York when I was 18, about. And I went to school uh, in Westchester, New York at a place called Purchase College. And um, I don't know if it was junior, whatever year it was, I started to go into the city. I had a a girlfriend at the time who was a little bit older than me. And uh, she had graduated and she had a place in Brooklyn. And she was kind and sweet enough to... I think I was just always playing guitar and always talking about how I wanted to play shows and... Um, and she went in like the back of the village voice or one of those and circled all of these open mics. And, uh, I was like, you know, if you want to do it, nobody's going to come knock at your damn door, you know, go, go to one of these open mics. And so I started hitting all these open mics. The main one that I went to was called, uh, sidewalk cafe in the East village. And I would go there every Monday and there was a, I don't know how many people fit in there, a hundred people, 200 people, but just packed in. And, um, and they had called, they called it the anti-hoot, this guy Latch, um, hosted it every Monday for years. <clears throat> and I went there and if they, if they liked you or if he liked you, he would, you know, it was one of these things where it'd be like, all right, what do you think? Should we give Langhorn his own show or who, whoever it was, you know? And that was the thing. If you could get that, then, you know, you would get your own little set on like an, a regular night. And I went with like the three songs that I had. I played them, got my own little show. I did well enough. And then I started playing there a lot. The Trachtenberg Family Slideshow players were like an all-star family band that was getting national coverage, international coverage. I wound up going to Europe with them. And um, they were doing really well. And they're great. Uh, Jason writes these great sort of poppy songs. And they were funny and they were smart and Rachel, who's a grown-up now, is a little girl playing the drums. The mom would project these awesome slides that she found in um, thrift stores and whatnot. And they invited me to go on tour with them. So I, they took me. In fact, we came, maybe it was my first time, to, shoot, what is it, the High Tone? Is There's the High Tone in Memphis. Yeah, in yeah, Memphis. yeah. Which I played a number of times over the years. But I, the first time was with was with them I'm, I'm quite sure of that and they took me on I think my first tours in the states and and also to to Europe so I, they, they were just friends and and liked what I did and I was uh, I don't know how easy I was to travel with as far as my personality or or my uh, emotional state at the time but I was easy that I was just a, a guy with a guitar 
and we got along well. I think I was easy in those other ways, but, um, but yeah, they're, they're just supporters um, and just awesome people that I met in the very beginning. Right. So you're touring with them and uh, you're playing festivals, clubs, and you, you kind of went from open mics to immediately playing festivals and clubs that had to be kind of a jump or a leap for you. Did, was it, were you learning a lot during that time period? I think in my mind, I was always playing to a lot of people. Um, and so I never thought about it as such a short period of, of playing an open mic to playing. And it's also been a long time, but no, that's true. Uh, yeah. And it definitely was a leap. I felt nervous, but I also felt ready because it was my, something I'd been fantasizing about and sort of preparing for in my mind, in my fantasy world, uh, for so long, probably before I ever picked up a guitar. Um, I learned so much at the open mics and like, I remember one time this guy I knew, knew a guy that ran a bar and they were going to give me a set to play. And I showed up and it was like uh, playoff basketball. And they set me up right under these two big screens at like a sports bar. I'm like this is not going to work. Cause I never, I never played well as background music. I've always wanted the attention of the audience and the connection with the audience uh, above all. And I think that being a solo person with a guitar uh and and having also had the experience another cousin that lived in new york an older cousin that i also looked up to a lot great artist when i was maybe 15 would bring me to washington square park to the subway in new york and uh and just let me do my thing and sort of like back up as though i was just a kid on my own you know to have that sort of effect and uh and keep an eye on me but I think through all of that, without realizing it, I was developing uh, certain tricks or skills to make people stop. Um, or else people, you know, if you're in the subway, people just want it, it, When you can get people to stop in the subway, that, that feels like a major uh, performance win. And so I think I was learning things along the lines. Um, from maybe 15 to the point that the Trachtenbergs were bringing me to these packed rock and roll venues. And then on that tour, they had a stop at, um, at Bonnaroo and I wasn't booked to play Bonnaroo, but they were so cool that they were like, our boy Langhorn's going to play 15 minutes. Is it okay if he plays 15 minutes? And they're like, you're hired for an hour. You can do whatever you want with that time if you want to give this guy. And that was the biggest crowd by far you know, that I had ever played in front of. And I just remember that being one of the highlights of, of my life, like having that many people get down uh, with what I was doing was, um, I've probably never been the same since. So when did you put out your first album, original songs, and something that you felt was representative of you as musician? Hey, I'm a musician. I'm a, this is my career now. Well, the first thing I think came out in two, 2004, I think. I'm not exactly sure. In my mind, I was already a professional musician. I have a memory of getting in trouble in school. And they could have thrown me out. And I think they were considering it. And they were just like, you're a smart guy. And, th and this was like a really special school that uh, 
when I left the public school, when they asked me to leave, I got to go to this sort of alternative artsy kind of school and I was still being a knucklehead. And, um, and for the same things I was getting in trouble for in the other school, they're like, they had a, a, a wider lens for an open heart toward the artistic types. Thank the Lord. And, uh, <laughs> and I just remember them being like, you can't stay here if you're going to act like this. You know, you can't be so disruptive and, and, a, and a jerk. And that was fair. And, uh, and they're like, you know, why don't you, you know, you're a nice guy, you're smart. Um, and, and I remember at the time just be, saying, because none of this applies to me. It doesn't apply to, I just feel trapped here. And I felt in my childhood, a lot of it, at least in the school system and stuff, like I was just building up to finally al being allowed by society or whatever to be released into it and free so that I can play music. And I knew that I would do it. As I said to them, I'm either going to be rich and famous and everybody's going to know my music. Of course, I think I had three songs at the time. Or I'm going to like live on the beach and nobody will know and I'll have my guitar and blah, blah, blah. What I didn't take into account is that there's a, there's a lot of room in between the rich and famous and the, the dude that's playing on the beach, which is sort of where I, I've been dancing. Um, but so there wasn't a, necessarily a moment where I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do that I remember because it, it, it had already been, it almost, I know it sounds a little corny, but I almost felt like I was born with it in my mind to not necessarily play music, but to be, um, on a stage uh, performing in, in some capacity. And thank goodness I'm able to do it because it, like I keep saying it, it, before I got this, I got a lot of, you know, going to the principal's office and, and stuff like that. So I was really lucky as a kid to have gotten into some trouble, nothing, nothing major. And that I had some, um, the privilege of having some doors open for me that I could go to a school that would, you know, still tell me don't be a jerk. And I still had to go to the principal's office, but they were, they were supportive and they were encouraging. This is great that you want to play music. Just also be cool too. be nice. <laughs> right. Well, maybe um, they understood that need to, to uh, almost uh, channel that energy in some sort of fashion when you're a creative person was yeah. music that channel for you that just sort yeah. of took you out of that a little bit? Yes, music and art and freaky, sensitive people and getting to experience different kinds of people, uh, which in New Hope, Pennsylvania, there was. And that's where I got to go to school, the high school, like where I grew up, it was it was sort of one way. And then I got to go to a place where there was a, a lot of artists and gay people, and it was a bit more diverse racially. And that was very exciting for me. Um, and then from there, I went to New York. And of course, New York for me at the time was just the land of dreams. Um, not so much that I had to go there to be a professional in music or whatever kind of art, but it just had all the lights were on, you know, as a kid coming from a small town in Pennsylvania, New York, my God. But, but yeah, exactly what you said. Well, and along the way, I would say your songs often bring the listener into your life. Like you write about your life experiences down to sort of a micro level, 
which I think is, is just great because while there are obviously experiences that you've had, uh, there are also kind of universal experiences, but not everybody writes that way. So what sort of, how did that develop? I mean, the, your writing Just, style. I think naturally. And I used to uh, be confused about it because I would read my, particularly when I first started, I would read my own reviews. I still do. But now it's just if my manager sends them to me and those are the nice ones. I don't think they're sending me <laughs> to me. But I would read them as, as a kid. And uh, I remember this and I still get it hard on his hard on the sleeve, uh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, who doesn't write hard on the sleeve? It's that's music. Like the, all my favorite music, I think was kind of like that in, in, in the great like soul music and, and blues music stuff that I think I'm, or punk music, uh, that I guess I'm inspired by in that way. But I don't know. Again, it was, it's not, I don't know that I've ever sat down and tried to write a song about a certain thing. I think I'm writing it because it's the only way I, I know how to get it out. Um, and if I don't get it out, I, I feel like it does make me feel sick at times, very anxious or, or sad or blah, 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 blah. When I'm able to perform it or when I'm able to express it through in the language of music, it, it is healing for me. Well, say that it's a sad song or it's a, it's a breakup song or you, wrote, you write about it maybe in the moment that you're going through something and then you sing it later. Is it, is it still a sad moment for you or do you have perspective, perspective on it later? Thank goodness it isn't still a sad, it, it can be emotional. I mean, I've got a particular song about my grandfather, my grandpa Sid that I sing at almost all the shows and I get emotional singing it. There's songs like that, but like a breakup song, when I sing that, it doesn't make me feel like the person's breaking my heart again or that my grandfather's passing right there. You know, it, it brings up those, it brings up real ass feelings. Can you say ass on Diddy TV? You can. Oh, okay, this is okay. the internet, baby. <laughs> oh. uh, it brings up real ass feelings. Uh, the songs that I can sing over and over and over again, it's only because I can still conjure up that feeling or the spirit of it is there dancing with me. So I could, I could get into the, the truth of it. I, I su- suppose, you know, the, the songs that kind of fall off over, over time that you don't bring to the stage or you don't keep playing are, I guess the ones that just, you don't feel the access to that, that mojo or that flavor. So thankfully if every breakup song made a person feel like they were going through that breakup again, there'd be probably less breakup songs and breakup songs are some of the best, of course. Well, of course, when you're actually going through a breakup yourself and you're just a listener to music, you always want to pick the song that someone wrote about their breakup because it just resonates with you. Yeah, it resonates and it gives us strength, doesn't it? It's interesting that yeah. sometimes sad songs can make you feel better about your own situation. I mean, they can make you feel blue too, but um, yeah, it's a mysterious power of, of music that I don't fully comprehend. Well, I think music can help us release that emotion sometimes because sometimes it's kind of bottled up inside you and a good song that reflects whatever it is you're going through enables you to just sort of release that 
that energy yourself, you know, through listening. It, it exists on, on other planes and levels, I think, so mm-hmm. that it, it can allow the listener to do that. It's, um, it's incredible. I have uh, <clears throat> my mother and my grandmother live on the same street that I was raised born and raised in, in Pennsylvania. And one of the neighbors I've known my whole life has, um, she's losing her memory, like in, entirely. My mom just said to me, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but it's just making me think of it, that they go over, the neighbors go over and see her. I mean, they've known her for beyond my whole life. And she hardly remembers who they are. And then they mm-hmm. play music and she remembers every word. And it's just like, holy shit we could say shit on diddy tv <laughs> uh i mean i you know i've heard that before and i've seen a film that they they, they talk about but knowing somebody and my grandfather was that way he had a massive stroke and lost his ability to speak and move almost entirely regained it over the years to some extent but we would put on like sinatra for him and he'd be able to get up and like shake it a little bit it's a it's an incredible thing yeah my dad has had some memory loss in recent years and to your point, he still remembers the lyrics to songs that he listened to in 1950-something. And it's, it's, very, it's really powerful what impression that makes in your brain. Um, e- even years later, you know the lyrics, you know the music, everything is just sort of hardwired in there. And this is kind of a nice segue into Strawberry Mansion because this is your latest, latest album you've put out. And I know that uh, it was a tribute to uh, your grandfathers on a certain, was it Jack and Sydney? That's my, yeah, those are my grandfathers. Yes. And where, where is Strawberry Mansion? You said it's a neighborhood, but it's, where it's is a neighborhood it? and it's, it's a neighborhood in Philadelphia that they were, that they were raised. And the record didn't start out as an intentional tribute to them at all. Really. It just, they were songs that were just showing up. I, I have a feeling you might have some questions about how, you know, how we get to that point, but right. over the, somewhere, maybe a little over halfway through the, the make, you know, me writing these songs over here, <clears throat> I was playing, there's an instrumental on, on the record called strawberry mansion and I was playing it. And I, for whatever reason, just thought one strawberry mansion is just a cool name in my opinion. Sure. And uh, I just, I guess I felt as I often do, the energy or the, the sort of spirits of my grandfathers. It was also a time, I guess to put it simply of a lot of healing, the beginning of some healing for me. And um, as the world outside was extraordinarily chaotic and continues to be and, uh, and scary and negative and fearful, I was in here and for the first time perhaps in my life trying to learn some different dance moves for my to deal with my own internal noise and was finding some as i've put it to other interviewers i guess like some quiet in the noise and some peace in the madness um of course that ebbs and flows but in that in sort of this healing process i could feel those old men you know, around me. And, um, and so I, I, it, it occurred to me to name the record strawberry mansion. And, uh, and then, then, um, then nothing period, end of story. 
Well, I read that right before you became so prolific and you wrote all these amazing songs for the album that you were in a little bit of a uh, writer's block, I guess. And, uh-huh. um, and uh, what, what sort of took you out of that where you were and just opened everything up to you um, so that, that all these songs flowed out of you? Yeah. Well, as you probably know, I was, um, I was going through a really difficult time with uh, prescription drug addiction. And I got sober here in Nashville about seven and a half years ago. I quit drinking um, out of necessity and drugs then out of necessity. And I had done that on my own without, uh, without connecting to a community of people who live a certain way to stay, to stay straight and to stay connected. And I didn't know that I needed that, even though some friends of mine suggested you might need a community of people. Um, I, I think I had thought, <clears throat> I know I had thought that if I was able to stop drinking and stop taking drugs, that I would almost immediately become the man that I've always thought that I could be, or that at the, you know, that, that things that I have deemed important uh, in my life, that, that then they would open up. And some of them did. But what I also learned is that the things that I've deemed important in life are exterior to my own um, spirit or soul and, and things along the lines of, um, of selling sh- concerts out of um, having uh, a, a romantic relationship with a certain somebody, things that everybody goes through. I put my identity, a lot of my self-worth into these things into, I don't love to say it to you on Diddy TV, but it's the truth of how, um, how my music is perceived, how many people are coming to see me um, and my band. Um, so it's a lot wrapped up into the identity of music man and romantic man. For some reason, it's not to do with money, really. It's never, that's never really entered into the equation. But, uh, but those two things, uh, especially. And at the time, um, a few years into my first attempt at sobriety, those things were eluding me. And I couldn't understand why. Now I almost can laugh at that a little bit, but I truly couldn't understand why the woman that I was in a relationship with, why it was toxic and why we were doing the things that we were doing uh, to ourselves and to one another, which wasn't loving. Um, And having all of these expectations for a record that I had put out at that time, that it seemed like this carrot was being dangled and I couldn't quite get it. And I love carrots. I actually really do, metaphors aside. Um, and I started to spin out and I, I, I just think I wasn't emotionally or spiritually or mentally really equipped to deal with life as they say, life on life's terms. And I've always struggled with giving short answers. Uh, and I've also always struggled with, um, with anxiety and what they call mental health, uh, sorts of things as many of us, as many of us do. And, uh, 
it got to just a breaking point and I didn't know what to do. And so what I did was I went to a shrink and I told him, uh, this is what I'm dealing with. And he gave, probably gave me some kind of test. I was like, you have an anxiety disorder and here's medication for it. And I wasn't probably completely honest with him that I have addiction issues. And so I wound up getting these pills and I was off to the races. And one thing led to the, to another, I don't have to bore you with the details, but it led me to a few years of, um, of a gnarly addiction to that. And I was out in California trying to finish a record, another record, I lost the last volume too, it's called, and uh, giving another city, you know, just checking out another city. And it was just getting really bad and really out of control. And I wound up coming back to Nashville right before the tornado, right before the pandemic, um, went into treatment, got some help and started to plug into a community of people that understand these things. And, uh, and then we had a tornado and a pandemic. So I was sort of like, had a little head start for myself of this kind of internal trying to heal and trying to simplify and to slow down less is more kind of keep it simple. These sorts of mottos were going through my head. Um, and though I hate the reasons why we, you know, for, for everything that's been going on for me on a deeply personal level, it enabled me, it forced me to slow down and to simplify. And I think the beginning of some healing mixed with a very traumatic, crazy, maddening time in the outside world perhaps led to something breaking open within me that a lot of songs spilled out. You think that the pandemic, so the world is sort of having to take pause. That's been kind of interesting that uh, everyone says you can't take pause in your life. You can't stop what you're doing. And just walk away from things. Yet when something like this happens, we're all forced to do it. And guess what? We all do it. We stay at home. We don't go. We're not traveling. We're not doing all yeah. these things. And even I think for average people, it's it's opened up new channels and, and ways to channel that either create creativity or energy or whatever you want to call it. But, but for you, having uh, just gone through this experience and, and getting sober, and now there's a pandemic, was that quiet helpful for you that the whole world yes. was sort of taking a step back? The quiet was, it's also challenging for me as it is for a lot of people. Having the great fortune of being a touring musician for all my whole adult life, my identity is very wrapped up in that. And to confront myself, like not on the road, um, to just try to peel back some layers and just be like, so who, so what happens when, cause for me, it's not just about drugs or alcohol. Like I'm a thrill seeker and I live for a perceived mountain top, uh, if you will. And so to try slowly to consider that we might all just be on the mountaintop wherever we're at. And then if you're always looking, of course, I've understood these concepts philosophically and intellectually, but not in my own action in my life. It's always been chasing the next show, the next thrill here or there, whatever it might be. So this is the longest that I've sat still in my 
life since I'm, I don't know, a little kid or something. I, I think it was very helpful for the song process to one, get off of the medication, which I was completely cutting off the source of my own creativity with it. It's a very weird, sad, ironic thing is that a thing that one can do that I can do to try and bring me some kind of peace or inspiration um, or sanity, quote unquote, in the end, almost inevitably brings me the opposite, utter madness, despair, um, because of the energy in which I go about it. So all of those drugs, that's why people say writer's block. I don't know that I'd even consider writer's block. I was just numb. I couldn't finish anything. My heart wasn't open. Um, and so, yeah, I think just getting off of that stuff and then just doing some of the other things. I got a cat, Mr. Beautiful, who you met. Um, I had a, a very good friend who was sort of stuck here with me in the beginning of the pandemic. That was very special. And I've got some very close friends around me who've been sober for a long time and are like brothers to me who are very highly creative people. And they were sort of in my, in my world as I was uh, getting sober again. And also as the pandemic time happened. So there's- you know what I noticed, I noticed in the songs. So you go from, and sort of speaking to what you're describing, which is once you get, you get off drugs and you're no longer numb. Now you get to experience everything, but you're going to experiencing, you're going to experience bad things and good things. When you experience things, you just experience all of it. So in the music, you have everything from a song about panic attacks to Strawberry Mansion, which is a beautiful instrumental and just uh, and since every song in between that are, you know, very lilting and melodic and and chill and some that are more angst driven. But you were allowing yourself, obviously, just to feel after having maybe not felt in a while. I wasn't. I think there's something to be said because of the pandemic. It's interesting to just have been here for the year with with time and a little bit more clarity on my side um, that and songs continue to come. Not at the speed in which they were, but they're they're still showing up. Well, I have to say, uh, you know, we I really enjoyed the album. It's uh, some really great music and people should pick up a copy and listen to it. But uh, um, hopefully you continue to write these songs, maybe, maybe not as at the clip that you're writing, and we'll all get out there and we'll be able to see each other in person again uh, at some point. So um, we really, I want to thank you for stopping by and saying hi to us today. And thank you. Uh, Strawberry Mansion, go get it. And uh, really enjoyed talking to you. A pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Langhorn Slim. Don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 